everyone. Welcome to Happy Hour History. I am here today again with Sarah, and we are going to be doing part two of Catherine the Great. So first off, if you haven't listened to part one, I would recommend you start there because it's going to clear up a lot of confusion. Uh, she lived a very interesting life, and this one's pretty dense, so I don't think you'd want to come in halfway through. Um, but yeah, we're going to be starting with like a summary and then going into the second half of Catherine's life. So Sarah's here with me today. Hi, Sarah. Hi, Kaden. And uh, we are going to be jumping in after just a couple of reminders. Firstly, as usual, uh, we'll be drinking, we'll be swearing. So if any of that is an issue, you can absolutely back out of this podcast. Not a problem. Um, and uh, this one probably does have like a sexual content warning. Nothing like crazy but there's a couple of things worth mentioning in the latter half of her life that are just you know some rumors none of them are probably that true but we gotta I don't know they're just kind of interesting so I'm gonna say them anyway and uh, with that I'll just say sorry mom we're gonna do the summary because like I said this one is kind of a long ass story um so firstly there are like two main women in Russia that you need to know you'll remember Sarah there was the Empress Elizabeth uh she was already on the throne she gets to the throne basically through like a weird series of like family members being like Empress or Emperor um, her father had been Peter the Great. She was the one who like slept through her first chance of being Empress, but she got it later on. And in doing so, she um, ended up imprisoning a baby who had been technically the czar. Um, but obviously he had his mother being the regent at the time. So he was imprisoned as a baby. That baby will come back into the story. His name is Yvonne the Sixth. So I wanted to remind you of him first. But uh, Elizabeth was a you know a really kind of interesting ruler she did a lot of things that were probably a bit strange at the time she had these like cross-dressing parties she was an avid horse rider uh really beautiful when she took the throne obviously she got older and like things changed but she had lovers and blah 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 so she just kind of had an interesting life her nephew who was her heir uh peter he kind of sucks he's in love with germany he's in love with soldiers and i mean like real ones and toy ones he put um a rat on trial and then hanged him from tiny little gallows like kind of a psycho <laughs> um so she like wasn't that thrilled with this kid as her heir but that's basically all she's got and he's in love with germany well not germany but prussia um so some of the places that would have eventually become germany but they are not at the time uh, meanwhile over in one of the areas 
in the Holy Roman Empire or like what we think of as Germany today. You have a child called Sophie who will eventually become Catherine when she moves to Russia. Uh, her mom is really not pleased to have a daughter first off because she wants a son. She wants to have like a child that is going to elevate her status. But eventually through like kind of scheming with marriages and getting her daughter hooked up with Peter, uh, she ends up kind of thinking she's going to live this exciting life. She ends up trying to spy on the Russian court for Prussia. That's a terrible idea. So she gets in a lot of trouble. Meanwhile, Catherine becomes friends. Well, Catherine slash Sophie becomes friends with the Empress Elizabeth, sort of. Um, she ingratiates herself with the people by trying to learn Russian and trying to adopt Russian orthodoxy, etc. Whereas her soon-to-be husband, like, could not give less of a fuck about any of that. <laughs> Uh, they end up getting married after she converts. Her her mother is so on the outs with the court that she's not even allowed to have her husband slash Catherine's father in attendance at the time. Uh, basically, from that point on, her marriage sucks and they don't produce babies for a while to the point where the empress starts saying, like, you can't have any of your friends in court because... I want you guys to start boning, and so I'm just going to put you with a bunch of people you hate until you have a baby. Like, that's my ultimatum. But she kept making friends with the people who didn't like her, so it all kind of ended up working out in her favor at some level. Uh, at this time, she starts taking lovers. There's first uh, Sergei Soltikov, who basically wanted her because she was a challenge. Uh, Peter knew about this and did not really care. They ended up having, presumably, the two of them... Uh, had a child, although that child was claimed by Peter. This child is named Paul, and she has almost no motherly relationship to him because the empress, like, immediately takes him basically right after birth and is like, cool, this is mine. <laughs> uh, she ends up getting basically dumped by Saltikov, and she gets a second lover, Poniatowski. Um, he is, like, super devoted to her, very kind of romantic, blah, blah, blah. And they have a child together as well, a daughter who will pass away very young. But uh, because of basically like weird politics and people kind of finding out a little bit too much about her um, extramarital affairs and also Peter had started having his own um, mistress as well, it caused issues. So she ends up sending Poniatowski away, which is a bit sad because he really did like her, it seems. And then basically we just like keep on moving and the Empress Elizabeth dies, which is like very poorly timed because they were kind of hoping that the King of Prussia would die first. His name's Frederick the Great. He does not die, uh, but Elizabeth does, which makes Peter officially the czar. He basically fucks everything up immediately, Peter the Third. Uh, he like alienates himself from the army and the church by making all of these super unpopular reforms, trying to make things more like Prussia, which is the exact opposite of like the very traditional old style way that Russia operated. <laughs> so they don't really like that. And um, so he basically, yeah, he makes a lot of enemies. He pulls them out of the Seven Years' War and they turn on their ally, Austria, Meanwhile, he wants to go to war with Denmark over some stuff about, like, his own personal German land in Holstein, which literally no Russian person cares about at all because it's not even, like, their business. 
Um, she said that he basically has no greater enemy than himself and all his actions bordered on insanity. At this point, um, she has her third illegitimate child with Gregory Orlov, who is her uh, third lover. And this is the first child to be officially illegitimate. So um, her husband doesn't claim this one. And so his name is Alexei Grigorovich, which is literally like son of Gregory or Grigori. Um, and basically her husband is gearing up to divorce her. Uh, like I said, he's got a mistress, Elizabeth Vorontseva. And so he's thinking that she is much more amenable to his kind of way of living and his style of rule. Um, and so he's going to marry her instead because Catherine is not playing his games. So she's kind of in trouble. And that's where we left off. She decides basically that it might be a good idea if she were to overthrow her husband. <laughs> so it's got to get real. But um, so hopefully that jogged your memory a little bit and the listener's memory. Um, but yeah, so she's thinking maybe I could overthrow my husband. She had had uh, in the past some support from the chancellor. Uh, his name is Bestujev. And he had wanted, even before Elizabeth had died, you might remember, he had wanted to basically name Catherine the heir. And that was seen as like, treasonous at the time to be thinking these thoughts so she was like you better burn that shit like all that paper like I don't want anyone to find that um and but there had been like people who were really on her side prior to Elizabeth even dying and she makes friends with the Orlovs obviously one of her lovers is an Orlov uh, Grigori but there are other Orlov brothers and one of the Orlov brothers was named Alexei, and he's also really important in kind of this idea of what her coup is going to look like. So she and the Orlovs begin planning how they're going to take over. Um, and they're thinking it has to be something that's done when Peter is like, really unpopular like they can't give him enough time to turn things around right now he's at a pretty low low in terms of popularity so you got to kind of strike while the iron's hot and so they actually start printing like papers and information about his own abdication before the coup even takes place so they're like really like they're they're kind of banking everything on this because to be printing that kind of stuff, if they were to get caught before their coup even occurs, that's treason, and you would instantly be like, fucked. So, that's not good. But, um, they have their, like, their kind of conspiracy going on, and one of the conspirators is captured. Um, and they start worrying that if he is tortured, he might tell them everything, all of their plans, and, and who's involved, and once Catherine's name is in there, like, it's it's over. Because you can... It's not great to lead a coup in somebody else's name. Like, if rando people were like, we want Catherine. And she's not involved. That's bad. And you could still get killed for that, even if you're not involved. But if you are involved, that's... It's over. Like, it's clear that you were committing treason. So, they can't let this become known. So, Alexi wakes her in the night. And basically says 
now, like today is the day. If we don't do this now, we're not going to get another chance and we're all going to go down with this plan. So he proclaims her empress that night. Uh, she's 33 when this occurs. And um, basically a lot of people like it's, you know, pe- like there had been talk about it and it was sort of the, one of those things that you like whisper about, but you don't talk about too publicly. But there had been support in the military. There had been support in like the government. Uh, people were really kind of there had been popular support for her as well, considering how much people didn't really like the stuff that Peter was doing um, in terms of like their reforms. So what happens is, is that she's got the military. And like I said, the Orlovs were involved with the military as well. So their, um, like their regiment was almost like very honored to have Gregory be her lover. And so she has the support of them and they kind of put a, a marching army together to head towards Peter. She actually wasn't with Peter at the time. He was at a, like a different palace. Um, so when they woke her up, they basically got her at the head of an army. And she's with the Orlovs, obviously, but she is wearing a soldier's uniform. Instead of a dress, she's dressed as a man, as one of the, one of them, essentially, which obviously people always love when you do that kind of like PR move. And she's at the head of her troops, but the only thing her uniform supposedly was missing was a sword knot, which I had to look up what a sword knot was. It sounds kind of, I mean, it basically sounds like what it is, um, but I, I wrote in my notes that it's sort of like a Wii strap for your sword, <laughs> like when you don't want your Wii remote to go through your TV. So you like put that little strap thing and like hook it to your wrist. It's It's kind of like that, like it's a way to hook your sword to you so you don't like have it fly out of your hand be like oh shit as far as far as i understood that's what it is somebody who's like big into military history might be like that's not what a sword knot is and in that case i apologize (laughs) but i'm going with the wee strap thing so no one can stop me but uh so she's missing this like one piece of her uniform and there's this young man in the horse guards and they're all in rank, so they're all kind of standing in rank, or I don't, I don't know if they're moving. I think they're just pro- probably stood still. And he breaks rank, rides up to the new, em- well, she was already the empress in like a consort position, but supposedly their new reigning empress, and he gives her his. And that, for some, like I, I don't know why, but I find that so funny because apparently she never forgets him. And he's going to be important in the story later. And his name is Gregory Potemkin. So I've, Potemkin heard, I've heard of him. Yeah, he's coming back. So, but yeah, so he gives her the wee strap. <laughs> like, and, here, uh, here, you take me, my wee strap. Empress, you can't not have a wee strap. <laughs> so, like, yeah. It's he like, uh, it's like 12-year-olds playing wee. Like, here, you can have a turn. Have mine. Oh, it's okay you can have my no yeah so it's very romantic but uh so they ride to where peter is staying and uh he is eventually arrested and he's forced by the army essentially to abdicate the throne because they've got him like he can't he can't really say no when they've got him like trapped So he wrote, and I slightly shortened this just for ease, but he wrote, 
I, Peter, of my own free will, hereby solemnly declare to the whole world that I forever renounce the throne of Russia to the end of my days. And he was emperor for only six months. So, <laughs> not a great record. Short-lived. I'm pretty, he's literally, the baby was an emperor longer than he was. <laughs> so, pretty bad for an adult man. But, um, he thought that he and his mistress, when, like, when he abdicated, he thought that he and Elizabeth Franceva would be allowed to go to Holstein. Because, like I said, he had lands in Holstein. Um, but Catherine can't have him going there because, one, any, like I said with Yvonne the Sixth and Elizabeth, anytime you have somebody who's been an emperor and they've been deposed, they basically become a huge threat because at any point, if your people stop liking you, they can be like, oh, we're going to put this guy back on the throne. Like, he was already the emperor. We'll just bring him back. Um, because if you really believe that God, like, chooses your emperor, which is what they did, um, to have him just, like, hanging around being like, oh, yeah, that guy was emperor too, wasn't he? <laughs> Weird. So, yeah, you, he's, like, a kind of a dangerous person to leave alive. So she doesn't want that to happen for that reason. But also, if he goes to Holstein, he becomes an incredible pawn for Frederick the Great. Because if Frederick the Great could have him put back on the throne or, like, do some weird political machination kind of thing, um, Catherine's not a huge fan of Frederick the Great, but he knows that Peter is. So he could mess with stuff, like, for foreign policy. And so that would be a mess. So he's not going to be allowed to go to Holstein. It was stupid that he thought he would be. That was, like, a disaster. Um, and so instead, he's going to be imprisoned with Yvonne. So that, yikes. Um, and eight days after the coup, so he, the coup occurs, and eight days after this, um, when he's been in prison, Peter is killed by Alexei Orlov. And there's no evidence, as far as I'm aware, that Catherine was directly involved in any of this, or that she even, like, ordered it to occur. Not to say that she couldn't have, and the evidence just isn't there. But it, it isn't necessarily thought that, like, she, you know, told them to do it necessarily. But it's kind of a disaster because everyone's going to think she ordered it. So she claims that he died of hemorrhoids. <laughs> yeah, my, my Which, ex died of hemorrhoids. It's fine. <laughs> it's, it's fine. It was eight days later, you know, those the roids really got him. <laughs> Just he was just so upset, and then the hemorrhoids took him away. Um, and so this led people outside of Russia to start making jokes about Russian hemorrhoids being like, you know, like a disaster disease. Like, oh, those Russian hemorrhoids don't really get you, <laughs> because obviously they're like that's not how he died. Like Alexei Orlov obviously was involved in killing him, and like from what I remember from reading about her. I think that they were saying that, like, it was something that just escalated. Like, it wasn't, it wasn't, like, premeditated necessarily. It was something that just, like, got out of hand and he ended up dead. Or at least it's, like, maybe how they tried to spin it once the hemorrhoid thing didn't pan out. <laughs> but, but yeah, they, they did try to blame it on natural causes and people were like, I don't think so. 
But, I mean, that solves her problem with him because now he's dead. And she's like, you know, she's like, whatever. I've had three lovers right now and one totally useless husband, but at least he's dead. <laughs> Hemorrhoids. <laughs> they really get you when you least expect it. So <laughs> she is given an official coronation in September. Um, and she has this, like, bitchin' imperial crown made. For the event and it's actually it was used for basically all of the future Romanov czars after her um, so it's something that continued to be used in coronations and if you think about like back to the last episode it's not completely unheard of for um, a wife to take power after her husband's death because Catherine the first had done that after Peter the Great had died and she was um, originally born a Russian peasant. So, like, that's a pretty big rise to stardom. But um, it's kind of weird because Catherine's not Russian, like, at all. Uh, obviously, she had been German. So, if they're hating Germans, like, it could have been hating Catherine ours. But they apparently were like, yeah, but she's, she's like, adopted enough of russian practice that it's better than peter because he never tried and peter technically did have russian blood but he just didn't give a shit to make an attempt he didn't want it um yeah he just didn't care um but so yeah so it's kind of it, it is kind of odd that she's able to take power this way even though there was precedent for wives to do that but you know it's kind of cool that she manages it and the people liked her enough to like be cool with it and at this point, at this point, Grigory Orlov wanted to marry her. Um, he's, he's, you know, like drinking the joy of the triumph. And he's thinking like, yeah, let's get married. Like, I'll be the consort to the empress. Like the Orlov brothers, like me and my family, we put her here kind of. And she's like, eh, mm, not super into it. Not today, Satan. Not because she didn't care for him. Honestly, it's not because she didn't care for him. Like, there are a lot of people who argue that he was one of her, like, more important... I mean, obviously, he's one of her more important lovers in terms of, like, political gains that she gets from him because he helped her get the throne. But, like, he, I think that he was one of the ones that she was most in love with. Um... But she's just, she knows that the people aren't really into a match like that. And she's like, I just took power. Like, I just, my last husband just died from hemorrhoids. So <laughs> let, let's just hold off. Like, I'm not, I'm not seeing a marriage in our future. So she basically says, nah. And uh, she gives him a bunch of nice gifts instead. She's like, oh, the Orlov brothers, my, my lover Gregory, like, thanks for all your help. Here's some gifts. And... That's enough for them to keep seeing each other, but you know, he's like a little he's like a little spurned in love and a little upset that he isn't gonna get to be the consort. So bitter. And at <laughs> this point also, like her like closest supporters, so the Orlovs, and uh she had like a really good friend who was involved, and they all start kind of like bickering amongst themselves because they all thought that they were given better gifts than he like like the other people were given better gifts than they were for supporting her coup. 
Um, Because they're like, you know, in the darkest days of this coup, like, we all could have died. We could have, like, gotten, you know, in huge trouble for what we were doing. And so we should all be given, like, really cool gifts. And I was obviously the most important person. I'm the linchpin of this plan. So they all start kind of bickering about who's getting the best stuff. And she's like, yeah, whatever. (laughs) Doesn't matter. I'm Empress. And after her coronation, they brought to her attention that there were like massive debts and grain shortages caused by the wars. Like I said, they'd been involved in a bunch of wars that involved mainly like Austria and Prussia and surrounding issues. And so there was a lot of issues caused by that in the country. So she said that her imperial allowance, which was one thirteenth of the entire national income, was to be used by the government since she belonged to the nation as much as it belonged to her. So, oh, that's, that's good. That's hella PR. Like, that's smart. So, this, this girl is straight up fire. <laughs> it kind of reminds me of like later on, um, You'll have countries like Ru- uh, not Russia. Um, France will do this later on, like after the French Revolution and that whole kerfuffle, and then the multiple kerfuffles that follow that, where they keep revolting. The kerfuffle, um, <laughs> that, you know that that lengthy, pretty protracted kerfuffle. <laughs> uh, I'm really downplaying it. Um, it's, a little, it's a little tiff. They, from that point on a lot of kings in France would, instead of being the king of France, they would be considered king of the French, which sort of meant that, like, it, it wasn't the land that they owned. It, it was, like, they were there by, like, the support of the people, and they were there to, like, help and guide the people and, like, be the government for the people. But at the same time, like, it wasn't necessarily God-ordained. This land didn't, like, belong to them through divine right or anything, if that makes sense. And there are other countries that did that kind of stuff as well, like much later on, more like 1890s to like the 1900s. I don't know the exact dates. Um, the Like the Greek monarchy will do the exact same thing. King of the Hellens or King of the Greeks instead of King of Greece. Um, so it becomes like a pretty smart political tactic to be like, I'm here for the people and not so much for like the territory. And she doesn't, it's not like she's saying like she's, empress of the russians but making it so that she's like the nation i belong to you as much as you belong to me it's sort of it it gives me like a similar vibe i guess if that makes sense so but yeah i think it's a smart move on her part to kind of give over some money to help and so she starts fixing shit because there were a lot of problems um there were all these financial issues like i mentioned and she starts secularizing some of the clergy's property and having churchmen be paid by the state instead. Uh, At this point, they had owned one-third of all Russian land and one-third of all Russian serfs, which are the people working the land and are, like, tied to that land. So doing this was big money. Like, it really helped out the entire state instead of just helping out these, like, pretty wealthy centers of power, which were, like, dominated by the church. Which, I mean, again, that is reform, but somehow it was less unpopular than the kind of stuff that Peter was doing. She maintained friendly relations with Prussia, France, Austria, and even managed to get former lover Stanislaw Poniatowski installed as a puppet king of Poland. Um, Ooh, moving up in the world. 
So he becomes king of Poland. There's like a whole, like, I don't even have the mental capacity to get into what was happening in Poland because it was like a big mess and we could be here forever if we tried to do that. But she ends up, long story short, being able to put him in power. But he's sort of, because he's in power because of her, she sort of maintains a bit of control over the situation. So he is sort of a puppet king. And also at this point, he's like still kind of into her. So that also helps being able to like pull his strings. <laughs> he was hopelessly devoted. It's so cute if it wasn't like a disaster for like the national policies of Poland. <laughs> so he actually wrote, he wrote to her, let me be with you in any capacity you will. Only do not make me king. Call me back to you. I will be able to render you far greater service as a private citizen. Life without you is nothing but an empty shell, emptiness and frightful weariness of heart. I beg you to listen to me, Sophie, Sophie. You make me suffer terribly. I would a thousand times rather be an ambassador close to you than a king here. <laughs> I'm just like, I'm gushing. Like, that's he adorable. He didn't want this. He, like, he, like, really, even when she first sent him to Poland, he was like, I don't really want to go to Poland. Can I just chill here with you? And now she's made him the king of Poland. And he's like, yeah, but I just really want to be with you. He's like, babe, I miss you. Uh, the problem is she's she's moved on, like, a lot. Like, she's over it. Um, And so, yeah, like I said, making him king of Poland, it wasn't something she was doing out of the kindness of her heart because she, like, loved him and wanted him to, like, move up in the world or anything. It was literally just ruthless statecraft. Like, she had a guy. Poland needed a king. So she just was, like, plopping him on the throne and being like, cool, I... I have some level of control over this dude, and that means the Poland isn't going to be a problem for me. <laughs> um, and this was actually smart for her because um, there had been, like, kind of continuing issues between Russia, Prussia, and sometimes Austria. And usually instead of, instead of solving the problems amongst themselves, they would just instead each take a part of Poland. <laughs> um so this is these are called the partitions of poland and again like i don't want to get too in depth with like weird things happening in poland but that's definitely something that like people who are interested can go down the rabbit hole of poland um but yeah they do these partitions of poland they happen three different times so like every time russia prussia and occasionally austria have issues like they sort of don't resolve them they're just like okay let's just take we'll just each take another piece of poland and it'll be fine and obviously the polish people are like what excuse you definitely not Um, okay and this happens over the course of two decades that they do this three times until poland eventually doesn't exist anymore and stanislaw had to abdicate (laughs) so she puts him on the throne she's like keep the seat warm babe it's fine and then, you know, within 20 years, he doesn't have a country anymore. <laughs> so, yeah, the Poland stuff is just kind of a disaster, but specifically for Poland. For Russia, it was fine. <laughs> and then, so she, like I said, when she was younger, she was really, like, she was an avid reader. She was a big believer in, like, enlightenment ideas and the principles of human rights. So she doesn't believe in democracy. Not like, you know, that some of the French people and obviously like Americans would eventually come to be interested in. 
But this is like around the same time period. That's all kicking off. So she's not here for democracy. She still believes in autocracy. But what she thinks is that instead of an absolute monarch that is like ordained by God and not answerable to anyone else, she believes in the idea of an enlightened despot. And she thinks that's the best form of government. So basically you have one person, i.e. in this case her, and she is the state essentially. So she has, she is still the main source of power. She's the decision maker at the end of the day. And I think some people thought that was a good idea because you didn't have people fighting, like having all these political fights. You had one person who could make a concise decision when it came down to it. Um, But they... Basically, it was the idea of, like, this is the best situation for the people. Like, I'm not here because God put me here. I'm here because this is the smartest thing for you. Um, So that was kind of the form of government she believed in after reading and corresponding with a lot of famous uh, philosophers at the time. So she was a correspondent with Voltaire and Diderot, among others. Oh, damn. And um, she would, yeah, she was, like, really interested in talking to them. But sometimes, apparently, she would annoy Diderot because he thought that she should be making bigger reforms faster. And she's like, I don't think you understand how Russia works, son. Like, I appreciate that you say this stuff on paper, but, like, that's just not how it goes down. So she actually has a quote. I shortened it a bit, so this has been slightly condensed. But she said, I have listened with the greatest pleasure to all the inspirations flowing from your brilliant mind, but all your grand philosophies would do marvelously in books and very badly in practice. In your plans for reform, you forget the difference between our two roles. You work only on paper, which consents to anything. It offers no obstacles either to your imagination or to your pen, whereas I, poor Empress, work on human skin, which is far more prickly and sensitive. So that's a mic drop. She's like, you don't get it. Sorry, but you can write all the fancy words you like. But when it comes down to it, like I'm the one who's out here having to, you know, whether it's like helping people because like sometimes, you know, like when you're helping people and then sometimes helping people leads to also murdering other people, you know, the French Revolution, for instance. (laughs) She's like, yeah, that's like it's kind of messy. It gets pretty problematic the further you go. She's like, sometimes you just gotta have a kerfuffle. Sometimes it's sometimes you gotta keep that kerfuffle tamped down. You keep that <laughs> kerfuffle away from Russia. Um she was personally very against serfdom. I think I described a little bit in the last episode, maybe, but serfs were like they were originally it was a more common thing throughout Europe. Um, but serfdom had largely kind of died out after the Black Death, so, like, the 1348 and, like, surrounding years after that, um, a lot of places had seen serfdom sort of die out because there were so, there were, like, in comparison to what there had been, there were now fewer um, peasants to work the land, so they could actually sort of bargain a little bit more for, like, greater independence from the land that they were tied to. And so that's like a very simplistic answer. Like in reality, it's not just that. There's loads of factors, but that's me like really uh, dumbing it down. (laughs) But 
so yeah, a lot of places serfdom had been abolished like way before just due to circumstances. But in Russia, serfdom still existed. So um, people are sort of seen as property. Again, it's not quite the same as like slavery in like the Americas necessarily. Um, but they were tied to the land. So whoever the landholder was technically like owned those workers. Uh, they could be bought and sold. They could not marry without the permission of their owners, and they could be beaten. Um, hmm. Surf women were also beaten by their surf husbands, and they could be sexually abused by their owners. Like, overall, it's a pretty shitty system for everyone involved, except if you're the owner, I guess. And so she didn't like this idea. She was against it personally. And as a younger woman, she had actually proposed the idea that anytime somebody sold their property, the serf should be freed. So in her mind, she's thinking it's not like everybody suddenly one day is freed and you have like chaos because now no one is tied to the land and they're all like, they still need jobs. So they end up still working for the people that have been abusing them and like, or like running away and doing crazy stuff. But her idea is basically anytime some noble person sells their land to some other noble person, you just don't take the serfs with it. Like, they're just, they're they're free to be done. Um, mm -hmm. And all their children are free as well and all that, and like, future generations. And it would take a long time, but if you think about, like, a hundred years down the line, it would be an end to all serfdom. Um, and it would be a lot more gradual and maybe less destabilizing. This idea was rejected because she was, like, young and idealistic. Um, and so she attempted as empress to make these like semi-sweeping reforms and they were called the Nakaz. And uh, they called for an assembly of delegates to convene and try to come up with like advisory ideas for reform to the laws. Again, advisory because in her mind she is still like the final say-so on all decisions, but they can come up with, like, some plans, and then she can either, like, check yes or check no. Um, mm -hmm. And it ends up being seen as too liberal. So when they hold these nakaz, like, assembly meetings, they're too liberal, and they don't come to anything. And um, it was a lot better known for its ideas than its actions. So, like, the ideas that come out of these meetings are actually still pretty important, but, like, it doesn't really accomplish anything. Um, but historically there's like still importance there. And at this meeting, at these meetings, they also confer upon her the title Catherine the Great. So, oh uh, yeah. And it was five years into her reign around about that they gave her the title of the great. So she was Catherine the second, because like I said, Catherine the first had been, uh, Peter the Great's wife who took power, but she was Catherine the second. Now she's Catherine the Great which is kind of wild. So good for her. And like I said, she she has all these lovers, so we've gone through three of them. Uh, Gregory Orlov eventually sort of fades in her life, um, and she'll actually have throughout her entire life 12 lovers at different periods. Um, we won't go through all 12 because it's like a lot, but... Damn, girl. <laughs> but uh, the most important, arguably, for like politics... Obviously, Orlov was quite important because he gets her into power. And then from there, once she's empress, the most important is Potemkin. So we mentioned him earlier. He is our, uh, are we, 
We strap. We strap. I was like, what's the word? Yeah, our we strap boy. So he gave her the sword knot on that like important day. I don't know. I mean, that story came directly from uh, one of her biographies, but like, if that wasn't true, I honestly wouldn't be shocked because it sounds so perfect. Like, it sounds like it belongs in a film. But he had garnered her notice over time after that because he was really funny. He did really good impressions. He was just kind of like a like a nice, fun dude to have in court because he kept things lively. And eventually, he wanted to be made the official favorite. So the official favorite is the person who is like her official lover. So it's like an actual, like it's almost like a job, basically. Mm -hmm. And so he kicked up a fuss about wanting to be the favorite. And when she was like kind of like hedging around, like not not really committing to anything, he starts saying he's going to go become a monk. He's like, I'm going to become a monk. You don't want to have me. So I'm just going to like, I'm just done. I'm just going to go become a monk. It's fine. He's he's a edgelord before edgelords were a thing (laughs) he's like fine i'll just take vows whatever so a little manipulative but i mean the thing is it works because she has him recalled back to court and she gives him the position of official favorite uh he was 10 years younger than her so you know like robbing the cradle a little bit but it's gonna get worse from here oh no and uh he was actually a bit jealous of her previous lovers Um, And she actually had to write out, like, a whole explanation of her previous affairs to him to, like, be like, oh, like, I don't love him as much as I love you. So it's, like, kind of wild when you can make the empress of all Russia write you, like, a note being like, yeah, but Saltykov's not as hot as you. And, you know. (laughs) This this sounds like such a high maintenance relationship. It just, (laughs) it makes me shudder. It's weird because the thing is, like, it works. Like, it sounds disastrous, but, like, mm-hmm. it, like, it's still, like, I mean, it's not, I'm not saying it's great all the time, but, like, it's, it's vaguely functional, <laughs> um, which is, you know, I guess a compliment, um, but they loved each other, you know, supposedly, but kind of, in a way, yeah, in their, in their own capacity, but they fought constantly. I mean, maybe that was part of it for them. Like, maybe they liked fighting, which is fair. Mm-hmm. Um, but their fights tended to do, like, it tended to have less to do with their love and more to do with power. I think they mm-hmm. were just both very, like, strong-willed people. And as much as he probably did care for her truly and as much as she probably cared for him back, to be the official favorite, he would have... It's like you're so close to the top and he would have probably just felt like I want more power. And she's, of course, there being like, if I give you more power, I'm decreasing my own power in some capacity. So there's always kind of that push and pull of that. And uh, he also always knew that she could unmake him as quickly as she had made him because he's only important through her. Mm-hmm. So he wanted to find a way to, like, keep that power because obviously she's already had lovers before and they've all sort of faded into the background one way or another. So he's thinking, like, eventually I'm probably not going to be her lover. And spoiler alert, he's right. Um, so he's like, I, I want to find a way to still have some level of power, not necessarily, like, over her, but with her, even when I'm not her lover anymore. 
So what happens is it's uncertain, but they may have been secretly married. And this is, again, it's not new. Um, Elizabeth, the empress prior to her, had potentially secretly married one of her lovers who was a Ukrainian peasant. So, like, it's not out of, like, the realm of possibility that she would have married him. And to be honest, at least Potemkin's, like, in terms of, like, class structure and, and how you would view that as, like, a person back then, Potemkin's way better than a Ukrainian peasant. So, but they may have been secretly married. Um, they formed a relationship eventually where they would sleep with other people. They weren't really, like, together together. But he mm-hmm. remained the most important man in her life and the most important man in Russia, uh, even over her son. So her son, Paul, at this point is getting older. You know, like he's growing up. He could be taking power like he like she could be delegating some power to her son to prepare him for the day that he eventually reigns. Um, but it seems like most of the power would go to Potemkin first, which, of course, does not make her son really like him. Um, or her for that matter like they never had that parental child relationship that they could have had um i'm just you know what just came into my head what that vine where it's like you're not my dad all vine like uh, one day people are gonna listen to this and they're gonna be like excuse me vine and i'm gonna that's the day i'm gonna cry (laughs) i I get that now the little kids the little kids that i uh coach they're like what is what is fine i only know tiktok oh no it's happening we're getting old but yeah so basically like they may have been secretly married they may not have been but like the root of it is is that they were always connected and they were always sort of each other's like most important person in terms of politics even when they were with other people and that's exactly what he wanted because he didn't want to be able to be thrown aside as soon as she didn't want him as a lover anymore. So it, like, worked out. Um, And as far as I know, um, some of her future lovers were even, like, helpfully chosen by Potemkin. Like, I think he was vaguely involved in, like, the process of vetting some of the people that she may eventually sleep with. Oh, boy. So it's kind of weird. There's, like, a weird relationship there. But... As she aged as well, because now, like, she took power when she was 33, but, you know, eventually she's getting older and older. Um, As she aged, her lovers always stayed pretty consistently young. She also had, like, interesting patterns of lovers because some of them were more just, like, like, literally boy toys. Like, they were there for, like, what they could do for her in bed and that's sort of it. Mm -hmm. But then, like... Once one of those was, like, tossed aside, she was bored of that. Like, it almost seems like the next one would always be more of, like, an intellectual. And, like, Mm -hmm. she might, like, she, you know, she probably did enjoy being with them in, like, a romantic capacity. But she just liked talking to them. Like, she was somebody who read all the time and had all these, like, big thought-provoking discussions with people. And so just to have somebody there who she could like bounce ideas off of and have like intelligent conversation with i think she was like re- she was just really drawn to that i guess she and... sounds lonely we need some we need some friends up in here <laughs> honestly like 
I kind of wonder if she was lonely because to me she just sounds awesome. Like she's just like like w- you get them, and then when when they've expl- like when their use is gone, whether that's like intellectually or sexually or whatever, she's like on to the next. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe that's like a really cynical view, but I think I just like the idea because so few women back then were granted any kind of like sexual autonomy, but she mm-hmm. had so much power, and the people and like the government and the military and like all of those different groups still liked Mm -hmm. her enough that because like you think about if you have like a really kind of promiscuous queen or whatever like people could use that to overthrow you to be like oh you know that's not godly or like there's a million different ways you could spin that to be like we have to overthrow this person because of the sexual promiscuity or like using that as a cover for something else they don't like But she maintains Mm -hmm. enough power and enough kind of control over things and enough, like, just, like, people just liked her enough that they never really used that against her in any completely, like, meaningful way. Like, they never really came after her for any of her lovers um, or tried to overthrow her, which is pretty, I mean, they do, actually, there's, like, a slight plot, but whatever, we'll get to that in a minute. (laughs) Um, but mostly like it's not super problematic that she has these lovers and I just find that so interesting because it's something that very rarely happens in history especially when you're so in the public eye and like I said so she's having these intellectual discussions with some of her lovers and she actually felt like she was doing Russia a service by training future statesmen (laughs) she's like it's fine like you're gonna come be my lover you're gonna be my favorite for a little while but like you're gonna get so smart from having all these talks with me and seeing me reign that you're gonna be a statesman one day it's fine so it was almost like a weird like internship (laughs) i love it i actually love it (laughs) but you know these days when you're sexually uh like when somebody expresses sexual interest in you at your internship you're like no and back then it was like that was the basis of the internship (laughs) like you might learn things but you are primarily here to be with the empress that way (laughs) so interesting and so, like I said, she doesn't have a lot of issues with the people, but, you know, it, it's never really a good story if there's not one, at least one, like, crazy attempt to do something weird. One kerfuffle. <laughs> yeah. She's got her little mini kerfuffle. And so, uh, you'll remember that the former emperor, Ivan VI, who I brought up earlier, had been removed from power by Elizabeth when he was about 18 months old. Uh, By age four, obviously this is like going back a bit, back when Elizabeth was Empress, but by age four, uh, he had been completely separated by his family, uh, from his family rather. He was, his family was allowed to eventually leave and get away, uh, but he wasn't allowed to because it's, again, dangerous to have a former emperor just like chilling in the world, even if he was a literal baby and had like no memory of being emperor (laughs) so he separated from his family put into solitary confinement by age four oh my god he spent the next 18 years in solitary confinement 
and because of this, he was illiterate. He had a stammer. And he had issues with his identity at times. Because he, like, it was just him and the prison guards that he might see who, like, brought him food and stuff. So, he didn't really know who he was. He didn't really know, like, what it meant to be like a person because that's that was his whole frame of reference in life like he didn't remember he wouldn't remember his family that was you know that's his entire universe like a very very small amount of space which is horrifying jesus it's terrible my gosh so i mean yeah it's really bad if things go wrong for you in russia or pretty much anywhere if you're in power like they go really wrong (laughs) so Elizabeth, when she had been empress before her death, uh, she had put protections in place. And basically the protections were if anyone ever tried to free Yvonne for any reason at all, because if they were trying to free him, they were essentially trying to put him back on the throne. And that was dangerous to her. His jailers were to kill him immediately. So he he would never be involved in these plots because he has no contact with the outside world. He literally doesn't have friends because he's been in confinement his whole life um so he's like it's not like he's out there trying to like drum up support for his cause it's just if somebody thought hey like well i don't really like the empress so let's just bring that dude back if that happened he would be killed and elizabeth spent a lot of her life really afraid of him and i think she did feel bad about the idea that like like if she were just to kill him outright that that would be somehow cruel. And so keeping him alive was maybe her idea of being merciful, but there's no mercy in what she does to him. So it's horrifying. I'm like laughing, but it's horrifying. Um, And he, his claim to the throne wasn't really any stronger than Elizabeth's. So that like it was, it worried her, but it wasn't like the biggest issue. But his claim to the throne is so much stronger than Catherine's. Catherine's claim to the throne basically doesn't exist. It, like, she just pretended it was there and the people were like, sure. <laughs> it doesn't matter. <laughs> we just hated your husband so much that this is fine. Um, but, so his claim to the throne is really strong compared to hers. I mean, I would say her son has a decent claim to the throne if you consider that he was technically legally Peter's. Uh, But if you're trying to get rid of Catherine and you don't want her son, you're going to go to Yvonne. And uh, so she feared him as well. And when she comes to power, she keeps this order in place. And so, long story short, there is a man called Mirovich, or Mirovich, I'm not actually sure which is correct. And he was from the army. He hates the Empress. And, uh, he was angry because her predecessors had taken his family's noble lands and refused to give them back. So that's like the backstory for why he's so bitter. And he decided that if he helped restore Yvonne to the throne, he would be rewarded because when Catherine came to the throne, the Orlov brothers were given all these rewards because they had put her in power. So he's thinking, if you're the one who installs somebody on the throne, they're going to give you cool stuff. So that sounds like a pretty sweet deal. So he decides to lead a prison break, not knowing 
that there were orders in place for the jailers to kill Ivan as soon as anyone tries to break him out. So he leaves this prison break. He's like, cool, I'm going to be rich. This is going to be awesome. And as you can probably imagine, as soon as this all happens, uh, they immediately kill Ivan. And it's all because a man that Ivan had literally never met wanted to make him emperor. And that's how he died. That makes me so sad. So, yeah, it's, like, horrible. I just, like, this whole story is so cool. And I'm always like, oh, my God, like, Catherine the Great's such a baller. She's amazing. Like, what a gal. But you hear stuff like this and you're like, wow, I would literally never want to live back then. (laughs) His life was awful. Like, every single minute of it was just terrible because he was a pawn as a baby. And then nobody could be safe with him, like, out in the world after that. So, it did not go very well for him. And uh, Mirovich was the first person in 22 years to be beheaded. Oh. Elizabeth, when she had been empress, had sworn to never put a person to death, which is actually, like, that's pretty commendable. I don't want to be, like, mean to Russia or anything, because obviously loads of countries are putting people to death. But, like, Russia prior to this had been, like, decently brutal. And so to decide not to put anyone to death, like that, I don't know. I feel like that's very commendable. Probably she was doing a lot of other bullshit stuff, like imprisoning somebody in solitary confinement for 18 years. But, you know, <laughs> like, I don't know. She thought this was merciful. But Catherine was like, I respect that idea, but this dude literally tried to overthrow me. So he's that beheading. Like, we're just not even playing the game. So got to break that streak some point. And so we're going to switch topics slightly and move into, like, war and stuff. So War and stuff. Very, uh, you know, super, super academically minded there. But basically what her war ambitions were kind of aiming towards were um, she wanted warm water seaports. So obviously Russia, when we think about it, is we kind of think of, like, you know, miserable winters and really cold. And you've got all of these seaports that are like not in great locations because they're in in really cold areas. So what she wants is a warm water seaport. Um, I have a quote here that says, approach as near as possible to Constantinople in India. Whoever governs there will be true sovereign of the world. Consequently, excite continual wars. So that was, like, sort of the plan at the time. Um, In the 1760s, 1768 to 1774, uh, she goes to war with the Ottomans. So that's, like, the people that we think of now as, like, Turkey and, uh, like, it was more than just Turkey, but we kind of think of them as Turkey now. Um, And her lover Potemkin helped her to get Crimea from the Turks. And so there's this funny story where after they take Crimea, um, he wants to have this like big kind of like celebratory, like, I don't know if parade is the right word, but he wants to kind of show off what they've taken and make it like look its best. So there's this myth that he actually had like basically whole fake towns created. And it was almost like being on a film set because none of the places were real like functional like towns and houses and you know all the things that are part of like a village 
Um, mm-hmm. And ba- like the idea was that there were like actors who were in them and they'd like go from village to village and just like, like they'd be in their village, like doing their happy little Russian thing. And then when like their procession of like all these important nobles looking at what's happening rolls by, they like run to the next village. Oh my, they um, never notice the same people. <laughs> apparently, well, I don't know if they're they're like oh poor people. They all look the same. <laughs> um, and so this became this idea. They're actually it, it becomes like a thing. Like if you were to look something up now, like if you were to look up the phrase Potemkin Village, it kind of means something that is like a farce. So you could actually use that phrase. It, that's like like it stands the test of time. Um, but it's funny because that, as far as I've understood from research, is a complete myth. Like he wasn't he wasn't putting on like a really elaborate play. They were actually just like taking a little tour of the places he'd like helped to get for Russia. And it was, you know, because people lived there. Like it was there were actual towns. Yeah. Um and so people who were actually on that procession have like written about the experience and it doesn't seem like it was actually like faked the way that people seem to talk about it but I always think it's funny because having taken like history classes in high school and stuff one of the things that always stuck out to me like are are these weird phrases that do exist today that come from the past and so Potemkin villages are one of my favorites um (laughs) but yeah they probably weren't actually fake and So she also wanted to get as much land from the Ottomans as possible. So she had Paul name, because by now Paul is married. uh, He's having children. So she's becoming a grandma. Um, And he had Paul name his second son Constantine. And this, again, PR move, because she wants him to eventually become a Russian leader of Constantinople, which is what we think of now as Istanbul, which is making me think of that song. Istanbul, I know it's, it just popped into my head too and I literally was like, oh no I love that song I like ironically li- I unironically listen to it all the time <laughs> um, but so because she's thinking you know Paul will reign one day in Russia and Paul's first child uh, whose name I should know off the top of my head but I can't think of currently will obviously take over one day after Paul but his second son, Constantine, could go and rule if we take, uh, if we go back and take Constantinople again. So it's total PR move to be like, hey, name your son that. Gotta. It's like poking him with a stick. Like, name your son Constantine. Name your son Constantine. Um, <laughs> You're like, mom, let me decide my own thing. <laughs> mom, God, I'm an adult. <laughs> I have a wife. Leave me alone. <laughs> <laughs> And so because of these wars with the Ottomans, she eventually does get the land she needs that touches the Black Sea. So she gets her warm water seaport. (laughs) And like, it's, I don't know, it's always funny to talk about this because it sounds so boring, but it's like ridiculously important how much she needed this like chance to have ocean access. So yeah, it sounds really boring, but in war, it was very important. And um. Towards the final years of the war, um, there was a man called Pugachev, and he claimed to be her husband, Peter, because, again, you need to have some kind of drama happening. So they actually lead lead another rebellion. So the the first one was to try to free Ivan, and that failed pretty quickly. Uh, But this guy, Pugachev, is like, 
nah, I'm not Pugachev. I'm Peter the Third. You thought hemorrhoids got me? Uh-uh. And so, um, and he's thinking, like, she's at war right now, so this is a kind of a good time to start something up, because, like, her troops are busy, so we have time to get people on our side and get our own troops, but Luckily, her troops were, like, finally concluding the war in Turkey, and so she has them immediately march towards Pugachev's growing army. And obviously, like, he was he was decently good at kind of bringing people over to his side, but he still is massively at a disadvantage. So they end up capturing Pugachev, um, and he was beheaded. But... The, the whole incident kind of made Catherine a bit more wary about her people and, like, what she was willing to do to help them, which is kind of bad yeah. because, obviously, she'd been this really um, enlightened monarch and she, she wanted, in her own mind, she wanted to do things that she thought were the most helpful or of the most value to her people. And, obviously, in loads of cases, she probably really sucked at that. But I feel like she generally had good intentions Mm -hmm. um but now she's like a little she's like "Mm, i don't know if i trust you guys anymore yikes with that (laughs) pugachev thing and uh before assuming power like i said her plan had been to emancipate the serfs but she realized now that it would cause a lot more problems for her so instead she not only left them as serfs uh, but she also introduced the practice to ukraine where the peasants had actually previously been free Oh, no. Complete 180 on serfdom. She's like, I used to want to abolish this whole system, and now we're going to have more serfs. Oh, my gosh. I can't even imagine. I would have been so just upset in that moment. (laughs) Yeah, if you're Diderot, you're writing some pretty mean letters to her. You're like, what are you doing? Uh, girl... I don't think that's where we were going with this. Didn't you read our correspondence? We weren't supposed to like serfdom. And then, uh uh-oh, kerfuffle. But it's the big kerfuffle. Because Mm -hmm. she's on the throne doing her thing when the French Revolution starts. So, uh, America has already had its revolution. And she's like, yeah, whatever. No one even cares about America. I don't even know who you guys are. <laughs> but <laughs> but the French Revolution breaks out. And that's pretty yikes. Because obviously all of these monarchies are, you know, they, they talk to each other. They're at war occasionally. They're allies occasionally. But the one thing they all know is that they're all monarchs. And they all would like to keep being monarchs. <laughs> yes. So she's like, yikes. And... She was really worried that if these ideas started spreading to Russia, she was in a pickle. So she, like I said, she ultimately in her heart believed in this idea of enlightened despotism and being um, sort of the best case scenario for government. She considered enlightened despotism to be like sort of a utilitarian form of government. So it was something that provided the best kind of use of like time and funds and blah 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 blah. and that's why she wasn't a huge fan of democracy because she's like you just need somebody at the helm to tell you what to do (laughs) um so so she really believed in that idea but the french revolution sort of pushed her to be a bit more conservative because she 
it's sort of that idea that like if you give them an inch they'll take a mile and so she's saying like if i Mm -hmm. start allowing more liberal practices they're gonna want more and more and more and they're never gonna be happy and i only want to go as far as enlightened despotism like i want to help you but i only want to help you as much as i prefer you don't you shouldn't ask for more than that um (laughs) which is like you know again that's like not a great way of thinking and it doesn't lead to you really understanding your people's needs very well it's more like what you consider their needs to be but so yeah she gets a little more conservative during this time and she starts questioning the philosophers that she so loved when she was younger and uh she was reading about them and writing to them and having kind of these friendships with them uh she was very upset by the executions of Louis XVI and Marie Antoinette when she found out that was like that was something that really upset her. Um, and she said, I shall be an autocrat, that's my trade, and the good Lord will forgive me, that's his. Everything wow. she says that's is a, such a zinger. That's such a powerful statement. <laughs> I'm like just can so continuously surprised by this woman. <laughs> I feel like everything she says is something that, like, like, I'm not an autocrat, so I can't relate to that. But, like, something in my heart, like, I just felt that quote, and I don't know why. <laughs> I shouldn't be able to relate to that at all, because no part of me has ever been in that position of power. But I'm like, yeah, mm-hmm. girl, I get you. Like, totally, so, yes. Yikes. Basically, what I'm saying is nobody should ever let me be in power. God will forgive me. It's fine. Only it's it's basically like when I walk around going, only God can judge me. <laughs> Which I say is like a like a non-religious person. So I'm just like fuck all y'all. Literally, I think um when you said that, all I could think of was Kesha. <laughs> but she she has a line in a song where she's I think it's um Oh my god, what is it? But she's She's talking about it. Miley Cyrus also talks about it too, and um, we can't stop. Oh, it goes like um, forget the haters because only God can judge us. Mm, there you go. See, classic. So, Catherine walked so that Miley and Kesha could run. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um. But yeah, so like I said earlier, because like. Part of this is sort of chronological and part of it is like by theme, if that makes sense. But when I was talking about Poland earlier, I said it took about 20 years for those partitions to eventually wipe it off the map. Well, it is during the French Revolution that they like finally destroy it. Because for some reason they're like, hey, doesn't it suck what's happening in France? And they're like, yeah, it does suck. What if we just took Poland? (laughs) (laughs) So again, this is like super, super simplified. There are probably i assume legitimate reasons for that to have occurred sort of legitimate reasons um Mm -hmm. but the basics are yeah stuff was happening and then they were like what if we just didn't have poland anymore because we ate it so yeah she gets it and uh now into her love life again so as i mentioned earlier she had about 12 lovers throughout her life and they were all usually pretty young even as she got older they were considered kept girls, uh, which is kind of weird. And yeah. after Potemkin, they would have very little political power. They 
like I said, some of them would still be very, very intellectually driven and she would talk to them and kind of like nurture their political ambitions. But that was more for them to go on and eventually have their own roles in government. They weren't like advisors to her anymore. She was almost like an advisor to their growth. But mm-hmm. but they weren't giving her like a lot of um, advice on what she's doing. Because by that point, she's older and she kind of knows what she's doing. She has the advisors she needs. Mm-hmm. Um, plus, she has Potemkin and like he he sticks around. So, yeah, they don't really have a lot of political power as the favorite, but she does help kind of nurture them in a way, which is kind of weird to say about your lover, but whatever. And they were often kept isolated from, like, the rest of the court. And usually they would serve, it was, like, considered serving their time as her lovers, and they would usually do that for about two years, at which point they were kind of sent off with money and land. So they were like, thanks for doing your duty to Russia and the crown. Here's your gifts for the two <laughs> years you spent as the Empress's lover. The Empress's bitch. Yes. <laughs> so um, some of them I she mean, loved. To be honest, I think I'd take it. I'd be like, you yeah, know what? two years it's is fine. Time to go. <laughs> yeah. So some of them she truly loved and some of them she put up with. <laughs> Um, and she actually said about her own life, the trouble is that my heart is loath to remain even one hour without love. So she was obviously very driven by that. And that's, I mean, she never has like a formal husband. Obviously we don't know if Potemkin was like a secret husband, but she never Uh formally marries. But because of her, uh, sexual appetite, there were a lot of myths about, the things that she got up to. So uh, the first one was about Potemkin choosing the men who would be her future lovers. I mentioned that earlier. Um, And that one's potentially true, but it's also potentially not true. Um, There was also a woman called uh, Praskovia Bruce. And she was like a lady-in-waiting and friend to Catherine. And the, the rumor was that uh, Bruce would essentially test out the men before they could be with the Empress. Ooh. She was like the first line of defense. She's like, if they can't please me, they can't please the Empress of Russia. <laughs> so We all need a friend like that. Yeah, it's like super normal for that to happen. <laughs> no, it's very weird. <laughs> Uh, there's nothing substantial to prove that this rumor is true. Um, sh- the second myth was that she was a nymphomaniac and had sex with horses. Now, Ooh, this one is oh, ridiculous, no. but there was a rumor that her death was actually caused by having sex with a horse and it crushing her. <laughs> so... This one is patently untrue. She did not die having having sex with a horse. She did not sleep with horses. <laughs> she had that's why she had literal lovers. Like why would you do that when you could have any man who has any form of ambition to be with you instead? <laughs> so, yikes, that one's creepy and clearly like misogynistic. But like I said, for the most part, her sexual promiscuity didn't really impact her ability to reign 
but at the end of the day she's still a woman and it's still history so like there had to be some form of garbage that came out of it and the rumors were the garbage (laughs) and uh the last like major rumor was that she had a collection of furniture made and it was basically it was like beautifully elaborate furniture supposedly and it was decorated entirely like all over with penises balls and boobs oh yes um just like all over all of this like erotic furniture and this one has no substantial proof either although supposedly soldiers during the second world war uncovered what has been called catherine's erotic cabinet <laughs> And if you Google, because of course I did Google, uh, if you Google, like, I guess you could just use the phrase Catherine's erotic cabinet and see what comes up. But I think I Googled, like, Catherine the Great, like, erotic furniture or, like, sexual furniture or something like that. And so you can actually see pictures of what people have, like, reproduced it to have potentially looked like. But there's no evidence that it actually existed. Like, none of those, like, tables and chairs and things are actually from the time period. So, that one's probably also a weirdly elaborate rumor that wasn't true, but has taken on new life from people who were like, yeah, that sounds funny. I'll I'll try my hand at it. <laughs> and then design some chairs. Um, so, that one, I don't know, that one's kind of funny. Um, most of these, or... All of these potentially are probably false. Uh, The horse one definitely being false. They were started as a way to kind of tarnish her reputation before and after her death, depending on like when the rumor was came about. Obviously, like the having sex with a horse and dying is a post death kind of rumor. Um, But they were Mm -hmm. meant to they were meant to kind of pull her down a peg or two, especially because she was a fairly sexually liberal empress of russia considering the time period um so it was like an easy way to uh like mess with her if you were trying to do that so i have like just a couple of extra things about her life this is more of like a summary of just like other cool stuff about her uh she was along with being an avid reader and like really involved in philosophy she was an art collector and a literary patron She founded schools and helped to promote Russian culture, which makes sense because she was so involved in, like, learning about Russian culture when she was younger. Mm -hmm. Uh, She and her son were both inoculated against smallpox, and at the time, um, inoculations were still seen as, you know, like, it was still such a new thing for people, especially in Russia, where, like, it hadn't really been popularized to do something like that, that there was still, like, this belief that it could be dangerous or, like, a host of other issues that people didn't want to get involved with. And so uh, she and her son, like, very kind of publicly were um, saying that they had been inoculated against it. And as a result of this, thousands of other Russian people also received the inoculation. So, like, through her direct action, she could have saved loads of people's lives. Um, So that's, like, really interesting to think about, like, her crossover with things like health and, um, like, that kind of, that form of, like, well-being back then. 
Uh, her reign, like we talked about earlier, included the killing of two deposed czars. So her husband, Peter, and Yvonne the Sixth. And that easily, either one of those could have easily ruined her reputation and led to her downfall. But she was just like, she was so well liked. She was so good at sort of the political game and what it took to be like a PR success that she kind of, I don't want to say it was easy, but she made it almost look easy to weather these storms. She was the empress of an impressively sumptuous court. So she supposedly allotted about 13% of the budget to a court lifestyle. And for comparison, education in all of Russia received about 2% of the funding. Oh, damn. So part of it, I mean, this is like, it kind of sucks that it is this way. But part of maintaining power back then and also like making your country look good was having a really strong court where, you know, people were wearing the best clothes and they were eating the finest foods. Like, you wanted to impress other countries and make yourself seem powerful, and you also wanted to impress your people and remind them that you were in power for, like, a specific reason. And so the grandeur was almost part of the game, so you had to kind of do that. But yeah, 13% to 2% is a little bit alarming. (laughs) And uh, between the territorial gains that she got from places like Crimea and the parts of Poland that she stole, she gained about 200,000 extra square miles of land for Russia, expanding much farther west. She uh, was also able to do this all without really provoking war from other great powers. She also wrote her own memoirs. Uh, which is where a lot of what we know about her comes from. So I've been quoting her throughout this. Some of those are from letters that she's written to other people, like the letter to Diderot, but a lot of it is from her writing about her own life. And that's something that's really special because throughout history, there aren't always a lot of people, but also a lot of women who have very extensive memoirs or diaries. So it's really nice when there's like a substantial amount of writing done by the person about their own experiences. And sort of just like to sum her up, she was a German woman who came to Russia uh, sort of by chance with no Romanov blood, no Russian blood in her veins, managed to rule Russia for 34 years on her own without even her husband being there as like the person who was kind of her tie into the family. Um, At first, some people might have thought she was sort of serving in that seat until like her son Paul could take over, but that's not the case. Uh, Even when Paul was an adult and having his own children and trying to basically boot her out, she was always the, like the most important person in the room. She was the most important person in the country. She never gave up power. Um, and when she had proclaimed herself empress, she'd always intended that to be until her death. So she was never going to give power over to her son. Um, and she actually gives her name to the Catherinian era, which was considered a golden age in Russian history. So that's really interesting. You go, girl. <laughs> And then kind of leading into like the end of her life, she, uh, Potemkin dies in 1791. He's actually away from Catherine at the time. So he's not with her. Um, 
And she was very deeply upset by his death because even though they hadn't been romantic together in quite a long time, he was always sort of her right-hand man. And she lasts another five years. She dies in 1796 uh, of a stroke. So not from anything with a horse, just a regular (laughs) stroke. Uh, She was the longest reigning female monarch in Russian history. She was succeeded by her son, Paul, who I mentioned she never really had a strong relationship with. She'd never had the chance to form a relationship with him. And then as he got older, I think they kind of had like a mutual bitterness towards each other. He always wanted more power and she was always more inclined to give it either to keep it for herself or to give it to Potemkin or other people. So she never really like had a lot of faith in him. Um, (laughs) She did love her grandson, Alexander, though, and she actually wanted her grandson, Alexander, to inherit instead of Paul. She's trying to just like pass it, like skip it down the line. That would not happen. Paul did inherit after her. I and feel like this sounds like another monarchy we know well. Yeah. <laughs> sounds familiar. <laughs> but um, Paul, because Paul had mommy issues, and also I'm just going to go out and say Paul's a dick. He, <laughs> uh, he changed the law in Russia so that from then on, only male heirs could take the throne. Wow. So from that point on, um, you know, because they'd had Catherine the first, they'd had Anna, uh, they'd had Anna, the like regent for Yvonne, which she's not really an empress, but she's a regent. So she was still in power. Uh, They'd had Elizabeth and then they'd had Catherine the Great. So they'd had like a pretty interesting run of women doing things for themselves. And that was Mm -hmm. like the first that was a first really for Russia as, as far as I know. Um, but it was like a really interesting time period. And he just cuts that to like right off. He's no more. <laughs> so for the rest of the uh, remainder of the Romanov dynasty, it will always go to male heirs. So she was the last Russian empress to single-handedly rule. This law will cause tremendous problems indirectly for uh, the family much later down the line. Obviously, we know about in the early 1900s with Tsar Nicholas II and his family, uh, he'd had four daughters. And every time they had a daughter, they were like, fuck. And by the time they got to their last daughter, which was Anastasia, or it's actually like Anastasia, but I don't know. Anastasia sounds better. I'm just, I'm just used to it because we're Americans. Um, (laughs) But when they got to their last daughter, they were like, oh my God, like this one has to be a boy. And of course she wasn't. And they were really stressed about it. And so they have one final child, a fifth child, uh, Alexei. And unfortunately, as like most people are sort of familiar with the story, he had hemophilia, which was uh, a disease that ran through all of Queen Victoria's descendants, and they were descended from Queen Victoria's family. Mm-hmm. Um, so he has hemophilia, and he's their only son. And hemophilia children, well, boys in particular, because women tend to more often be carriers than actually be afflicted by the disease. Um, but sons with hemophilia don't tend to live either very long or very well 
Um, and so he, they actually hid his disease because he was at that time the only he was the only heir like of this line of the family obviously something happened to him it could have gone to one of like nicholas's brothers or you could go further up the line and find people like there's always someone it could go to but -hmm. if they're trying to keep it in their direct set of children it has to go to him and the daughters can never really inherit that but it'll go to someone else before it'll ever go to them so they secluded themselves away to keep the secret and it makes them incredibly unpopular when they're hidden away and they they aren't out there like trying to drum up support. The First World War happens. People already don't like them. Things are really bad. And again, this is incredibly oversimplified, but a load of problems happen among this being, you know, this issue of their seclusion and they end up being executed by the Bolsheviks. So basically, if we're trying to really dumb this down, Paul led to the Russian Revolution. <laughs> Damn. That's not Paul. true. But if we're here to blame I, Paul I still... for all bad things. Yes, I still blame Paul. So thanks, Paul. Thanks a lot. Um, but yeah, that's that's not real. I mean, that's like all the things in that were true, but the conclusion we've drawn is not real history. Don't write that <laughs> on paper, please. Um, but... Yeah, Paul, overall, he seemed to be pretty much just as weird as his dad. And I mean, like, his legal dad. So, not Saltykov, but Peter. Peter was super weird. He was a weird dude. He, like, hanged rats. He loved his soldiers. Just a bizarre guy. And Paul was also pretty weird. He idolized his father. Because his father was, like, murdered in prison after his mom took power. So, of course, when he didn't like his mom, he's like, Mom, you murdered my dad. So, of course, he idolized his weird AF father. And the people, as a result, as you can imagine, didn't really like Paul. Um, He was assassinated four years into his reign. And uh, her favorite grand... Or, you know, one of her favorite grandchildren, Alexander, who she wanted to come to power anyway, uh, after those four years, takes over as Alexander I. Uh, He famously had very similar ideas of reform to what Catherine had wanted. But again, just like Catherine, once he was actually in power and like seeing how difficult it is to reign, he became much more conservative as well. And it kind of, you know, just passes through their family line until eventually there was a kerfuffle. (laughs) So the big kerfuffle with that, this strange that really uh, big kerfuffle with the strange man. It got pretty weird after that, and then it was just like major kerfuffle. But yeah, so I mean, that is sort of the long and short, mostly the long, of uh, Catherine the Great's life and the legacy that followed after her. So basically, what people need to know is that she's one of my favorites. Um, I'm not saying she was always great, but she was always pretty cool. <laughs> she was good at PR, if anything else. Yeah, I mean, she knew how to play the game, and she was way smarter than a lot of the men in her life. <laughs> because her husband was dethroned, I mean, by her, in fairness, but uh, lost his power. Her son was assassinated, and there she is, just, like, ruling, doing her due, having a lot of sex. Like, two thumbs up, guys. This is awesome. <laughs> um, but 
But yeah, so I don't know. I love Catherine. Thank you, Sarah. This has been such a long story. And as we know, Russian history can be very complicated. So there was a lot to like track for you. Yeah, no, I, I thoroughly enjoyed learning about this. I have heard like bits and pieces, but honestly, like I love just getting like the background leading up to like kind of like the more well-known things in history. So it's definitely intriguing getting to know like sort of like Romanov backstory. Yeah. Like before Anastasia and all the ends. <laughs> the disaster part. The disaster part. But yeah, I don't know. I just think she's so interesting. I really do. Um, I have enjoyed learning about their whole family line so like if you are ever you or any listeners are ever interested in learning more um there is the really really good i think i mentioned this in the last episode but there's that really really good um bio or not biography is not the right word but like history book i guess or like mm-hmm. non i guess non-fiction book is what i'm looking for here it's just called the romanovs it's got that bright blue cover um and that was such a helpful resource, both with learning about Catherine and learning. I thoroughly enjoyed learning about pretty much all of her ancestors, or not her ancestors. Well, I, I enjoyed learning about her predecessors, rather, because her ancestors obviously were not Romanovs. And I enjoyed learning about all of her successors. Uh, I think I mentioned to you in either the last episode or after we finished recording that uh, one of her successors alexander the second was the one who ended up finally freeing the serfs and yeah. he was in correspondence with abraham lincoln because around the same time is when the slaves were being freed so that's yeah. like like it's just such there's just so many interesting things that i didn't know about russian history and i really enjoyed learning about the romanovs and obviously it has a really really good kind of way of explaining the end and it was um very thorough and comprehensive in a way that I understood more of exactly how wrong everything went. Yeah. But I also enjoyed learning about the beginning parts too, because the beginning of Russia, not the beginning of Russia, but the beginning of the Romanovs in Russia and sort of bringing Russia into like a more European style form of government and and kind of way of being was so interesting to me in the earliest years of the Romanov line you still have like bride shows. So instead of marrying your emperor, the czar to somebody from like a foreign country, the way that Catherine was, you know, from a principality in the Holy Roman empire, they would have like a bunch of just like ran, not random, but like a bunch of just Russian women come and they'd basically do like a beauty pageant and he would just pick a Russian woman and it was called a bride show. Oh, that's interesting. There's like all these weird things that, I mean, I think are kind of weird personally just because I'm not familiar with them. But it was really interesting to get all the history of like how things changed and how they adapted and how they ended up where they ended. So I really liked that book. I really liked, um, there's another, there's a documentary series on amazon prime which i believe is also just called the romanovs and that's actually in russian so you have to watch it with subtitles but that's really interesting and i again enjoyed learning about it from the beginning Mm -hmm. um and then there's numerous great catherine the great um 
biographies. So, yeah, this one was, like, a lot of fun to research. That's why it's so dense. Like, I have so much in here because I just so thoroughly enjoyed learning about her. And every time I learned a fun fact, I just wanted to add it into my notes. (laughs) So it ended up being long as hell. That's okay. But Sarah is a true trooper. Every time I apologize for making her do this, she's like, no, I enjoy it. And I'm like, oh, I do enjoy it. (laughs) I'm glad you're still able to say that. Whether it's truly sincere or not, I'm very glad that I haven't driven that from you completely. So thank you so much for coming, Sarah. This was really fun. Thank you for having me. I appreciate you asking me to be on here. And we'll have to do this again sometime. (laughs) I'll give you time to recover and then we'll do something else.